Yeah, brother. There's a lot of people out there talking about us, for us, at us, but seldom with us. So it's time that we get out there and express our voices, share our worldview, and become accountable. Why? Because I am Five Fibs. A podcast that invites free-thinking black men into a shared space for unapologetic conversations about contemporary issues related to self, society, and the world. So join us for these provocative moments. Let's get at it. Welcome to I Am Five Fifths. I'm your co-host, Ahmad Mansour. And I'm your other co-host, Bill Thomason. Today, we have a gentleman who really believes in youth development and progress. Uh, his name is Ashanti Branch. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm doing very well. Well, first, man, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to share your background uh, with uh, our audience because it's phenomenal. Uh, so Ashanti is the executive director of the Ever Forward uh, Club, He's no, which is an award-winning uh, after-school program that's gone from actually being an after-school program to a global platform. Uh, Shante, he was born in Oakland, California, and he attended uh, engineering school uh, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is a fantastic college uh, where, he injured, where he majored in engineering. And interestingly, uh, after volunteering as a tutor uh, with struggling students, Ashante actually found his fire and he decided to become a teacher. So it was a big career shift for him. And during his 19 years, uh, he received uh, a Fulbright scholarship, fellowship, a Rotary Club Cultural Ambassador Fellowship, a Saybrook Presidential Fellowship, and then he becomes uh, Teacher of the Year in 2010. And uh, this Forever uh, Ever Forward Club is really a program that supports struggling Black uh, and Latino males. And so I want to welcome you to I Am Five Fifths, Ashante. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Really glad to be here. So it's interesting, man, because it seems like that over um, the past years, you've really kind of blown up. You know, you've gone from this after school program that focused in on Black and Latino males to this global phenom, <laughs> even appearing on Google Talks and Ellen and uh, Kelly Clarkson. So what do you attribute to this, uh, this appeal to Ever Forward? And, and also, uh, how does it feel to become the IT organization these days? Oh, man, I, I wish I felt that, man. <laughs> every, every time I hear the bio, I'm like, <laughs> I have to ask myself, who is that, first of all? Uh, because I, I'm clear that the bio is the highlight reel, you know, and I think that it's something that I'm really excited about this conversation about, because I think part of me has learned and grew up believing that I'm not supposed to highlight myself. I'm not, I can't brag. I can't, I can't be proud of my accomplishments because I was told growing up, hey, you think you special? You think you tough? You think you smart? You think like, that's what Oakland taught me. Sure. And I learned it by by being shamed into being smart. So I would hide my tests. I, so I, when you say, when I hear the bio and I hear that, um, and I want to say, first of all, like, I think you just called it into being that I was on Ellen because I haven't been on Ellen yet. Oh, wow. I know, okay. I, I, I know Ellen, <laughs> Ellen, she gives out big checks, you know? So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that coming soon. So I appreciate you for that. Um, I, I but think I, that, I, I think Ellen... <laughs> I think that's what I did, man. I, no, I think I, I, I remember I I was I'm thinking about that big check that uh, those people come on the show <laughs> walking away from. And I just thought that you would be the perfect, uh, the perfect candidate for that. Oh, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm, well, I'm, well I'm, shoot, I'm, man, if we doing that, then we just need to say, hey, brother, we're going to call you on Oprah. Come on, man. Go. Nothing against Ellen, but, you know, let's just go. We're going to go there. We need to go there. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> So, yeah, so if you can, just continue telling us a little bit more about um, this Oakland experience, because you did grow up there, yeah, and you did grow up, you know, being someone who uh, apparently felt comfortable with high academic achievement, but yeah. you felt like that had to hide itself and not yeah. really show up uh, in your community. But so tell us a little bit about that, but also... What led to this journey uh, from Oakland to um, 
uh, to San Luis Obispo Engineering to, you know, for now being this, uh, this fantastic organization. Yeah, you know, so um, I was raised by a single mother. Um, my father died before I was born. I, uh, you know, figured out that at seven years old, my uncle was like, you're the man of the house. I was mm -hmm. supposed to know what it meant to be a man. I was, I told my uncle, I don't want that job. <laughs> Can you find the, the man who's supposed to be doing this? I, I'm barely figuring out how to do this boy thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and I think that um, the hard work of like raising kids while you're still a kid teaches you a lot, right? It teaches you not only a lot of empathy, it teaches you a lot of care. It taught me like I'm a different, I'm definitely a people, I, I connect to people and their energy a lot. Um, I, when I left home, I just, I need to get out of the Oakland, right? I need two things. Like Oakland was a hot mess my whole life growing up. But when I graduated high school, um, I just need to go. I need, I need, I was like, I was exhausted. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, it was like, what do you mean? This is the, the most exciting time of your life, but I'm exhausted from having to like be responsible for other people's kids for yeah, so yeah, long. Yeah. And I think that the journey with going to college, I finally got a break. I finally got a break from just where I could just be a little selfish. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, and I think that um, college was a journey of like studying engineering. Like I realized in Oakland that I, I was, I was ready. I got accepted. I worked hard in my high school. My high school only expected us to work to a certain level of hard. I get to college and people are like, you know, like three books to read in 10 weeks. I'm like, who reads books that fast? Can your eyes even move that fast? <laughs> I didn't even know it was possible. My school, you get one book for, for a, a whole semester. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's what? And so I just didn't even know better. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when I left college as an engineer, I was juiced, man. I was like making good money. And then something in that money wasn't the answer. I thought that money was happy ever after. I thought money was equal to happy ever after. I remember like my first job, I had to ask one of my friend's dad, how do I negotiate this salary? Cause I didn't have any, there was nobody in my family who I knew who could help me negotiate a salary. My mom was like, take the job. What are you doing? Yeah. Why are you, why are you <laughs> don't, don't mess up your luck. What are you doing? You know, I'm like, no, no, no. These other kids, <laughs> these, these non kids who don't look like me, they get offers way higher than mine, you know? Yeah. So I knew I needed to, I needed some strategy, but I didn't know what the strategy was. Cause I didn't really have conversations like that around the dinner table in my house. And so sure. I learned that I need to like be able to ask questions and learn from other people. And so com coming from engineering, um, I was enjoying it. I was living in the Bay Area. I was building big buildings and the tutoring. After tutoring, I started getting the fire for teaching. And I was like, oh no, because I know teachers, <laughs> teachers don't make money. Right. No, right. I want to be, I want to be rich. <laughs> if I, you do not go into teaching if you want to be rich. At least I haven't found it yet. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, the, the calling on my heart was bigger and stronger. And so what I did is I thought I was going to go to teaching for two years and then get it out of my system and then go back to, to the money. And uh, that was 19 years ago. Uh, I haven't been back. I thought about it several times, but um, I'm clear that the work I get to do today now running this organization and building this movement has been about, let me tell you how the Ever Forward Club started. I was sure. a first year teacher. I was failing as a teacher. I was, I saw smart young men who looked like me in my class. And I'm like, dude, I can't fail my class. Nah. Like, that's just not okay. First of all, it's not okay. It's not acceptable. And if anything, I'm just gonna be a pain in your butt the whole year because you can't just walk in this class and act like you're not smart. I can see it in you. Sure. But, here, but here's what I also knew about those young men is that smart wasn't cool. And therefore for me to tell them they were smart in front of the class actually is more of an insult and more of a danger to them than what they thought that the being smart could do. Right. And, and I, and I, and I had to remember, cause I forgot what it was like to be a teenager. I forgot that I used to hide tests in the bottom of my backpack. So my friends wouldn't see that I did good on the test, especially when they were throwing me pieces of paper, asking me for answers. And I was afraid to get caught. So I wouldn't give them the answers, you know, like I, I remember those moments. And so I remember the first time a kid wanted to fight me is cause um, I told him how smart he was. And he said to me, man, get the, get the F out of here with all that stuff. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I, it, it, it just caught me by surprise. I'm like, what? Why are you talking to me like that? What? And I forgot. I mean, I, it was a moment of me still being an educated engineer teacher before I realized what was happening. I'm like, why did you just, why do you talk to me like that? And I'm like, you know, what? go outside, step outside. He's like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm like, get 
you know, we heard have mm-hmm. argument, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized after I learned more from that young man that th- there's there's consequences for being a smart kid. Sure. In a school where athleticism and money and new shoes and being cool are the the rewards. And I and I and I I set him up and without even knowing it, unintentionally obviously, but but it was like me learning from these young men was helping me realize my my role was to help them know how to navigate these walls of school so they can still graduate and be cool, right? How can you how can you be cool and smart? Like cuz they they only thought they could be cool and they couldn't be smart as opposed to how do you be so cool that no one knows how smart you are, right? Like whatever that looks like. How do we just try to you know tweak the system? Sure. And and I and I knew it because I had done it. I knew it because I had to I had to fake it a lot. That's fantastic. Ashanti, let me ask you something, man, because you and I have a lot in common in that I also came from a single parent mother and I was also an engineer in college. And you and I know that whole narrative around, you know, the smart black kid growing up in, I was, I'm from Detroit, right? And inner city Detroit is a lot like inner city Oakland. And I remember when I was about eight years old, my mother wanted me to learn French. And I just remember looking at my mother and saying, you must want me to get in a fight every day, right? But you and I know an eight-year-old kid who could have learned French, my life could have been on a whole different path. How, how do we change that narrative, Ashanti, where we, we make it okay for the young inner city brother to say it's okay to be smart. It's okay to learn French. Yeah. You know, um, after being in schools, both public, private, charter, teacher, administrator, I almost think we need to create our own spaces for our young people. I mean, I, I've I've been in the system doing my best to work in the system. And I and I'm and I'm, I'm and I'm continuing to work in the system. I don't have the resources to start a school, but I have been really trying to figure out we need spaces where like like if you believe that that wasn't cool like i've seen kids like i've seen kids do like really ridiculous things to prove that they weren't what somebody said they were like oh, i mean yeah, they, they, yeah. they didn't go they didn't go just one degree of separation from that thing they had to go 10 so somebody said oh you weak you ain't you ain't gonna you ain't gonna you ain't gonna do blah 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 that kid has to have a fight that kid has mm-hmm. to have a fight don't the kid don't want to fight kid kid don't know how to fight but he knows the consequences of letting somebody call you that means you have to prove it and i can't just prove it like a little bit i gotta act up i gotta go like left all the way to make sure people don't think and i remember i remember many times doing that so i think like um right, right now we have a we have a situation with schools that we mm-hmm. have an opportunity to do something absolutely dramatic and different and the sad part is that we're we're trying to just get kids back to the building to do like we just, we used to do it. And I think the reason that it's not work, it wasn't working before and it's not going to work now is because we need to change how it looks. Well, I'll tell so, you, I'll go for it. Sorry. No, I was going to say some schools work for kids the way it is. That's good. But let's, how about we just redesign it for those that it's not working for? How, since we know that we can, we can rechange education in two months and get every kid learning from home, well, but relatively based on technology and all these other barriers, but let's just say we transform what education looks, whether it was quality education or not, let's just know that there's a lot of you know, caveats to that, that what yep. to happen. Like, if we can do that, then we can make schools work for the kids who it's not working for as it exists currently. And I think that the problem is in a classroom for kids who, you know, I tell teachers, look, um, I had kids who, if I didn't give homework, they go make up their own homework. And I also had kids that if I deliver the homework to their house, they're not doing the homework. So the, so the, the range of students you're going to have in a classroom, if you're not able to like reach the range and reach the lower end of the range, kids, there's some kids who are going to do their, they're going to get their stuff done. They don't need you. You just yeah. you just a you just a you just a vessel to get them to where they want to go. They don't need you. They don't even they don't care about you. There's some kids who need the relationship with you, and I think our work is helping educators build, learn how to build relationships. Our teaching profession is you know primarily white. It's primarily women. Seventy five percent women. Seventy five percent white women. And then we have you know one percent black men, five percent to seven percent Latino men. Um, there's a lack of not only male educators. 
lack of black male educators. And so I think, how do we encourage, we're not going to encourage, we're not going to encourage people to become teachers with just because they want to give back to their community. Because if you grew up poor to make a decision to go back to teach where you get paid, like you get paid poorly. Sure. It doesn't feel good. Like I I'm clear that the decision of me leaving engineering to become a teacher, the hardest decision was money. The first decision was, this is what I really want to be doing, but that didn't matter. Cause I'm like, you know what, you know how much money I make? <laughs> you want me to like give up this to first go to a place where they're going to blame me for the fact the kids are not learning. They're going to blame me for the fact that schools are broken. They're going to blame me for like, what are you crazy? And they're going to put no responsibility on the parents. Like, Absolutely. Why, why would anybody choose that kind of job? So I think that you, you said it right. It's like, I think we need to really redesign. I mean, and that's going to come from top level down in some ways. We need to put more money into how we pay educators because then that barrier is out of the way. Like you, you can you can you can live a good lifestyle. Pay. Most people think that as teachers, you uh, get paid for a whole year for 10 months of work. Right. What? What kind of law? Please show me the checks that I missed <laughs> in summer. Because what I knew is that when summer happened, there wasn't no money coming. You yeah, know, there, there, there were a lot of people looking for jobs during the summertime That's when right. you when you think that That's they're right. vacationing. But I, I want to follow up on Bill's question because I think yeah. it was just a phenomenal question. But before yeah. I do that, I just want to make a comment and say that really, you know, we perhaps even need to look at uh, moving beyond reform and towards transformation because. I, you know, first of all, we're in a new century. Uh, the, the industrial model just appears to be indelibly connected, you know, to this district-driven model yeah. of public education. Um, so, you know, I take your concept and I even uh, raise it even higher and say that we do need our own schools, but we also need to see how we can kind of deregulate uh, districts out of their centrality, uh, because that that's really, really creates challenges. Um, but I, I do have, I want to follow up with Bill's question um, and ask, so, you know, these young men, these Black um, and Latino males primarily, yeah. um, so how do you bring, I know that social emotional is at the core of your programming. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's my first question. My second question is, um, you know, you talk about you know, males or black and Latino males, but also what we know is that the funding and grant making organizations seem to uh, really challenge um, kind of the all male space, uh, even though, you know, anything that's all girls, it, it seems to be okay. But when, you know, the, the people that I've spoken with who have all male organizations find it so difficult uh, with, the, with the funders, it's almost kind of like, a, a feminist ideology that goes with that, that um, uh, that designate young boys when they get together as toxic, that, that you're teaching toxicity. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't mind answering those two questions. Yeah, man, that's a, I mean, it's a deep question. I, I, so here, here's what I, I saw as a first year teacher, the most of the students who were failing my class were young men. Uh, here's what I know about the data that exists right now in our country. 94% of people incarcerated are men. Here's what we can tell you about violence, about suicide, about drug use. Like we men are huh, leading the most um, dangerous and categories in our societies. And I think that it's not because men are bad. I think it's because men were taught things when they're boys that they can't, they have a hard time breaking free from when they become adults, right? Like when you're five years old, being the king of the hill is cute, right? All the other parents in the park and the kid, a five-year-old who's the toughest, pushes everybody else down and they're like, oh my God, he's so strong. Well, when you're 15, that'll get you put in a cage. So when do we train you to stop saying, well, you know what? You can't show feelings. You got to suck it up. You got to man up. And every family's different. So every family didn't hear those messages, but a lot of them did. And if you didn't hear it at home, when you got to school and you had permission to cry, everyone was like, what's wrong with this kid? What are you doing? And then you get conformed by the society. So maybe even if home lets you fully emote mm -hmm. society, who told you really quickly that that's not okay. Now, as, as community to community, everything is different, right? Knowing that there's a lot of variations in there. But I just know that one of the things we saw is that when in my classes, um, 
people were shocked that I was creating a club for boys because they were like, the boys have everything. Why are you creating a club for boys? That's what the girls would tell me. Man, why are you why are you buying them lunch? The boys have everything, right? And we can look at we can look at overall, like how much money goes into male sports, how much money goes into like it it there's some truth to that. How sure. many how many males are in power and, for, and, and that's just back when I started in 2004, lots of has changed and even in Congress things has changed mm-hmm. in terms of more women having positions of power. But what I saw in schools was that the young men were confined. They were confined to acting a certain way because society said, here's how boys and men act. And if you don't act that way, then something's wrong with you. And therefore, where did young men get a space to be human, to be fully human, to have all emotions that are human be able to be displayed mm. and even equally respected? Well, no, because if you're showing that you're sad and you're afraid and you're worried and you're fearful and you don't feel strong and you feel self-doubt, there's something that society says there's something wrong with you. And so I think that what we what I learned was that I wasn't in concern. Like at the school I taught at, there were no clubs for young people who were trying to navigate how to just do life better. All the clubs, school clubs, were for kids who were on their way to blah, blah, blah. They wanted to change the world. How about, uh, right? There was the student body <laughs> right. presidents and all that. I mean, everything was about how do we like take, you know, take over the world. We want to trans, like, how about just have a space where I can just be me. And I think that the confusion for a lot of people was that, um, that that's not important. Well, I found that the, most of the young men at our school were failing a lot of their classes and there was a problem with that, but no one was doing anything about them. So I said, it's my job to do it. And I realized, and I was a first year teacher. I thought that I would probably start this. I had a vision for this ever forward club. I said, well, maybe after I teach for five years and I get really good at teaching that I would start this club because I would have more time on my hands. I mean, it was year one. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this can't wait. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to, in my mind, when I was thought about creating this club, I didn't think. In my mind, I'm going to create a club for all boys because boys are struggling. No, I came in as a first-year teacher ready to teach all kids and realizing the ones who were struggling the most were the young men in my classes. And I'm like, and I think that what, what we created in Ever Forward Club was a space for them to say, see and hear, man, you're not alone. You're not the only one who feels that, but you think you're the only one who feels that, so you're hiding it even more. And so when we came to those lunches, those young men got to open up. And they got to realize that I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to make them tell me something they don't want to tell me. I'm just there to listen when they're ready to talk. And the, and the idea is that how, how much, you know, I mean, each of us can think about our own life growing up. Who do we have to talk to? I, you know, I, I didn't have anybody to talk to about what I was going through. I just stuffed it inside. Now, here's what I know. A lot of my childhood trauma, I turned it into eating disorder, right? I turned it into eating. Because as a big boy growing up in Oakland, if you eat a lot, no one's going to think anything's wrong with you. So... Well, well, especially especially in Oakland, Oakland, because any meeting that you have in Oakland, you got to bring some good food there, man. So there's many opportunities. If you're so if you're about community in Oakland, then you have to be ready to to eat at each one of those events. So (laughs) go ahead, Dale. Sorry. So, you know, Ashanti, as you know, I am five fifths broadcast. I mean, podcast is all about the perspective of the black male. That's what Ahmad and I, when we started this podcast, wanted this to be about voice for Black men. And actually, one of my books that I look back on my life that I read was The Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys by Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu. Are you familiar with that book at all? I am. I am. So you know what that book is about. And I wanted to know if you can talk about, is there you know, as a black man doing this work in the community? Do you feel a lot? Is there some kind of a conspiracy? Because there's a reason why we make up the prisons. Let's not even talk about the criminal justice system, right? Mm-hmm. Rap to me, brother. Like this, man. this is, this is your time, man. <laughs> we, we didn't, we told you this ain't going to be light talk. On oh, this no. And, and this is, I mean, I think this is so critical. I think, um, I read that book. I, I forget. My mom gave me a copy of that book. I remember. Um, and I remember like reading it like when I was doing my credential program. And I remember we were reading some, we were reading why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Right. We were mm-hmm. like, we, 
we I, I read Black Boy when I was like I remember how all these stories began to come together and what I saw in as a teacher was that and I remember as my own self is that um, I've been a bad student before and I've been top of my class mm-hmm. so so I know two sides of what it feels like when when educators approach you based on how you show up and when you don't care about your education and you don't care about schools you get treated like crap mm-hmm. I, I remember what it felt like i remember middle school i was in middle school i remember what it, what they said to me i remember how they treated me i remember all those layers of how school and, and when we talk about the school to prison pipeline i think the problem with that description is that it's leaving out so many steps because the problem most people hear when they hear it, if they're very literal thinkers, and I'm an engineer, so I think very logically in a lot of ways, it, they, they're trying to say, well, we take kids out of school and we put them in the prison. Well, technically, it's, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It goes from school to suspension. Suspension to feeling like school's not a place for you. Feeling like school's not a place for you to dropping out. To dropping out to find something to do to make some money finding a way to make some money, maybe having a job or not. A job. Like it's, it's a layered approach of things that took you to make bad decisions that got you in trouble. And oftentimes what people say is schools are not sending kids to prison. And it's easy for them to just drop out of the conversation because people have simplified it to make it sound catchy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a step-by-step process. Like kids who get disconnected from school, listen, in Ever Forward Club, all of our students graduate. Why? Well, because you don't drop out of a family. One, I like you, that. You, you don't get to not show up to them. Like when you, if you didn't show up to like ever for a club meeting, you know what's going to happen? Somebody's calling you that night or somebody's coming to your house. You don't show up to a meeting? Oh, no, no, no. We don't play that. Like, and it wasn't like you, you signed a contract. It was that you have an expectation. You're part of this brotherhood. You're part of this community. You don't not show up. Now, if you got something to go do, you come to the meeting. Hey, I got to go do this. Okay, cool. You checked out. Boom. You checked in. But if you didn't show up to a meeting, you're going to get a visit. And what I've recognized is that students don't, if you, if you're not, if you don't show up to some place for two weeks that you're supposed to be at and no one calls you, you would start to believe you don't, you're not really missed yeah, there. Absolutely. Yeah. No one wants you there. And so with our boys who are maybe home isn't a place they feel wanted. They come to school. They're not good at school. So therefore they get treated badly. Therefore they're told that they don't care about their learning or education. And then what happens? Well, I don't want to be there. People talk, people talk bad at me at home, talk bad at me over there. Who am I looking for? I'm looking for somebody to make me feel good about myself. And you know what? There are some people in most cities who will tell you what you want to hear to get you to do what they want you to do. And you know where you'll end up? You'll end up locked up in a cage. And I you, see it oftentimes. Absolutely. You know, Ashanti, the thing about that, man, I used to always say as a kid, uh, I'm, again, single parent mom. It's a matter of who gets to you first. Because I guarantee you, the dudes that are running in gangs, you don't don't let them show up to a drive by or or whatever. Somebody's coming to look for them, right? We all look Ahmad, you, me. We all grew up around gang culture, and part of what gang culture and what makes it successful, if you can use that word, is the fact that if a young brother is in the gang and he don't show up to an event, somebody's coming to his house. To look for them, right? Absolutely. You just flipped the script on it. That's right. You put it in a positive. So, man, again, I gotta commend you for that, man. I, I told him, we need a hundred more brothers like him. Absolutely. On the front lines. What, what, what it also, what it also, I 100% agree, uh, Dollar Bill. Um, by the way, we call him Dollar Bill. Just out. <laughs> uh, um, so, I mean, t- to that point. Um, Ashanti, I think you brought up a really powerful point, and that is that, you know, when you talk about the, the school to prison pipeline, you know, it could sound um, a little bit superficial um, just because it sounds like a tagline, but it's, it's those little things like, you know, when that kid is in a class and sometimes, and people need to know this, that a kid could just be looking up the wrong way and a teacher may interpret that as being disrespectful because they can't they can't make sense out of it mm-hmm. um they'll take a facial expression and send them out of their classroom and saying that they're being uh disruptive 
Mm-hmm. And, and that starts that whole process, you know, of, of yeah. going to the principal. And now you are, and depending on what state you're in, and, you know, if you're in Missouri, you know, uh, that can prompt a, uh, a call from the cops and you walking away with handcuffs on. I mean, it gets mm-hmm. that extreme. Um, so if you can, um, I, I guess if I, I guess if I wanted to, but I would love for you to speak more about this. Yeah. Your your successful you have some very successful stats around the success of your program. Can you just speak about some of the, the successes there, and then if you can, transition us into the um, the whole concept of the mask and what that means to um, to us as 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 adults as young people, yeah. um, really getting to to look at who we are. Yeah, thank you, and I want to want to step back a half a step, because I think when you talked about what happens in classrooms, you know, I was a teacher in public, private and charter schools. And I was an administrator. Um, so I've seen all the sides of it. And what I one thing I saw as an administrator, I had one kid gets into my office with a referral. Right. And I get the referral. And the teacher said on the referral, um, this kid is incorrigible. This is a middle school kid. Now, I, as an administrator, didn't even know what that word meant. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck is that? I'm like, I go to the, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm literally like feeling like a little, like, what is this? So I look it up and I'm like, she did not write this on this referral. Now I'm hoping this kid also didn't know what it meant because maybe he's smarter than me and maybe he has a better vocabulary than me. But I'm like, what did you do? Like, what, 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 what could you have done as a middle school student in a class for a teacher to say that you are unable to learn, that you have, you don't have the skills, ability, willingness, you are, you don't shouldn't even be here. Like, I literally took it personal. And I was like, I mean, this is an English teacher. So maybe she thought she was using fancy words. So the kids didn't know what she, like what she thought of him, but I felt that. And I was like, this is, this is, this is, so I asked him, Hey, what happened, man? She's picking on me. Okay. Tell me what happened. Right. And he's upset. He's hot. Right. He knows that, but however she talked to him in class, that's not how she talked to him on this referral, but she said something to him in class. So I, I saw his fire and my job in that moment as a teacher and as a former bad student, a former good student is to say, tell me what happened. Tell me the story. Now he thinks already that I'm going to think he's in wrong because he got a referral. Cause obviously no one gets a referral unless they did something. But I already, by the words on the refer, I was already like, yeah, there's. Well, now, I know, I know, man. <laughs> what, what I've seen so often, what I've seen so often is that oftentimes when we send students to the office, that if we don't, as adults, because what well, I really, um, some of my, my, my administrators I work for, you don't have time to talk to a kid. Give him a, give him a consequence and send him back to class. Like that's what was a consequence. Give him a consequence, give him detention and send him back to class. Like, why am I giving him a referral? Why am I giving attention? Well, let me find out what happened. And I think that oftentimes we run kids through a cycle because what we don't, we don't even ask them what happened. We assume the teacher is right. And they may be, but we've, I've seen lots of teachers who were wrong in the wrong acting immaturely acting like children. <laughs> and you're like, um, I can't defend this. And my job is to be, be a, have a delicate balance on how I'm talking to the kid about that situation, but also being like, Hmm, and I don't want to send you back to that class because I could already see the teacher is not ready to receive you in a good way. So I need to keep you with me because I know you're going to be safe with me. And it's like it's like a dance. Right. And so when you're an administrator who you've been given tasks and you got referrals, 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 I mean, I've had days where I had 20 plus referrals. It's not just from one teacher. Wow. I got a bunch of teachers dealing with different kids. And wow. you're like, what do I do? So I think that part of our journey is through education and it's not only making sure that we are helping teach teachers how to build healthy relationships, but we're teaching teachers how to navigate their own junk and not project their junk on kids. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm looping that back around to the program because what we did with students is we told them, listen, um, you're going to have to expect more of yourself than any other of these teachers can expect from you. I had one young man came in class. They would do their homework in my class, right? So they didn't, they didn't want to carry heavy backpacks. All right, then you got to do the homework before you leave school. You got you can't go home and not do homework. You know what I'm saying? So you're gonna do it here. If so, one kid came in, he you know he would always say hello, and he would sit down. He did some work. He was like, "I'm done." I'm like, "Oh, what you done? You that's like 30 minutes. How you done already?" He's like, "Oh, I only had to do a three paragraph essay." I'm like, 
what is that? What's a what's a three paragraph essay? He said, my teacher, my teacher said all I have to do is three paragraphs. I'm like, you lying. He was like, no, I'm not lying. I'm like, you are. There, there's no such thing as a three paragraph essay. He's like, that's what my teacher said. So I I grab him by his neck and I walk over to the phone and I'm like, hey, Miss Whoever, um, you know, this kid told me that he had a three paragraph essay. I just want to make sure that he's not lying to me. She's like, oh yeah, he struggles. So I told him he only had to write three paragraphs. I said, oh, okay. You, you, I said, I'm glad you told, I'm glad you told me because he's about to get in a headlock, you know? So I said, <laughs> thank you so much. Hung up the phone and I said, sit your butt down. Yep. Yep. And I said, you will write a five paragraph essay because if she expects anything less from you than she would expect from her own kid or any other kid in that classroom, yeah. she is expecting you to be less than, and I won't even tolerate it. And in his moment, in the moment he was upset, you know, that I made him redo the whole essay, right? I'm like, don't ever let anybody have lower expectations of you than they would have for their own kids. Because that means that they're allowing you to show up. Show up. And I, and I, now for me, in the moment he was upset, he got over it really quickly, right? But it was like, no, 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 no. I could have been like, you know, blaming the teacher. And I, and I said, I said, listen, I'm just going to be clear. Like, that is not okay. Like you are capable of doing five. If you can do three, you can do five. It's going to take you a little longer. You got to work a little harder, but you are going to step up to the expectations, mm -hmm. not be limited by them. And I, and I think that's part of the work that we were able to do in Ever Forward because it was not me. I didn't start this program to try and get 90% kid, kids in college. I started a program because there were smart kids failing algebra. And if you don't pass algebra, you don't graduate high school. Like that's how Ever Forward Club started. Yeah. I, it was a gatekeeper and I knew that, but your 13 year old self could easily sabotage your 18 year old self. Why? Well, because you don't know any better. <laughs> your 13 year old self who fails algebra don't know that you're setting your 18 year old self up to be like, you're not graduating in California. That's the rules are. So my job was to help you see what you were telling 18 year old you who's going to be super pissed off that at 13, <laughs> your immature self now messed up my future. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and that's how we help them translate. So we just, I just don't translate what I'm seeing into how it's going to show up in the real world. And then they'd be like, Oh, you know what? I don't want to not graduate. So I better do this work now. And I think it was just helping them navigate that. And I think that what we saw in them is the, the way these masks were showing up. The, the mask was deeply, we weren't talking about masks back in 2004 when I first started ever forward, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was actually, we were talking about it without talking about it. I was seeing there was more going on with them than they were letting me really see and through these lunch meetings we began to go behind the mask a little bit and that's how it that's how it worked um and i'm gonna show you i'm gonna show you some masks here because i have some here with me but um but the mask is a it's an activity we invite people to do it's called the million mask movement uh we invite people to uh, create a mask and what they do is on the front of the mask uh, we ask them to draw a picture i'll show you one here this one is an adult. Okay. Oh, perfect. Teen teenager. Right and, this, and this thing is taken off, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. So we were featured in a documentary, The Mask You Live In, which is about American masculinity and this hyper masculine narrative of being a man and how it's really hurting our boys, right? Yeah. Um, the activity we did in that documentary, which when I was working at Fremont High School in Oakland, um, were these young men who we had them do the activity around masks. It was the first time I did it. I, I was hoping it was going to work, mm -hmm. but nothing nothing had worked with these young men to get them to open up. Where did the idea come from? Well, I was, um, I, I was, uh, what I knew for the young men that were, they were coming to the film and I was like, well, look, these young men don't open up. Like I've been working with them for like three months, four months. Like every, and when we go around the circle and do check-ins, everybody's a 10. <laughs> on a scale from one to 10, everybody, I'm a 10, I'm a 10, maybe one nine over there. Everybody's a 10. I'm like, everybody's great, right? Everybody's great. And I'm like, I'm the dean that year. So I'm like, no, you're not a 10. You're not a 10. You, you got five referrals today. <laughs> that's, that's not 10 behavior. You know what I mean? And, wh and what I learned from them right, right away was that in front of each other, everyone, everything had to be perfect all the time because they couldn't, they take down their mask, their guard. They had, they had armor around them. Now, when we're in my office one-on-one, -on -one, like, I'm not wasting time, but it was softball questions. Like, we don't have time for this. Like, what's going on? Why are you walking the halls? Why are you, why are you getting kicked? Like, all these things I'm asking them. And one-on-one, -on -one, we can go deep. I had one young brother, 
man, we went deep. He he was so sad about his father and grandfather. His grandfather, you know, left him in juvenile hall. He had a lot of feelings about his father. His grandfather told his father, don't take it. Don't get him out of there. Don't go pick him up. Leave him there. And he was he was angry. He was sad. And we we he showed his sadness. He, he cried in that office the next day. Before school, I'm get I'm going walking to my office, you know, down my hallway. He's in the hallway. I'm like, dude, go to class. He was like, F you branch. <laughs> <laughs> now <laughs> there's still an there's still an Oakland in me, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a I'm a dean, I'm an administrator, but uh <laughs> once you say those words to me, I forget what title <laughs> I have, you know. And I, but in my mind, here's what, here's what I <laughs> here's what I here's what I knew it, what he said. I, I knew he felt exposed. Because the day before, he and I, he let himself cry in front of me. Mm-hmm. And what he needed to do was to make sure that, that I mean, this, is, this is me translating it later, right? Because I'm like, where did this come from? This, this, is, this is the very next conversation that we have, you saying F you to me? Like, no, no, no. Well, it's, it's a mask. Because you mm-hmm. got to prove yeah. to everybody else that you ain't no punk. You ain't yeah. weak. You ain't, you ain't going to let Branch tell you what to do. Even if we just had a really powerful, meaningful, heart-to-heart conversation, so you're protecting yourself because wow. you think I may tell that you were crying in my office, so therefore you better make sure that nobody thinks that you can be told what to do. Mm. And I'm like, I said, listen, Mr. Johnson, go to class. Now the other kids, because they know me well enough, they know something like you let him talk to you like that, Branch, like because that's not even ever acceptable. It, they just know. So I'm like, but in my mind, I know what's happening, and I'm just like. I'll deal with you later, go to class. But I needed to like disarm that moment, right? Because my normal response would be like up in the face. Sure, sure. But, I, but, I, but I know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I tell myself I know what he's doing. Um, and he apologized later. He came back and like he, I, but it was in the moment where you're like, how many teachers, how many people could be conscious enough to know what you're doing when you're trying to push me away because I got too close. And now you need to like, normally you can you're suspended you tell the yeah. dean of students f you you going home go to or at least getting a beat down <laughs> in oakland <laughs> well, you know it's uh, that, 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 that's fantastic so i mean just that, that's i love this idea of the mass because and yeah. the work that you've done yeah clearly shows that that's just not a thing that our youth have to deal with, but it's also something that adults uh, carry with them all the time, perhaps because they have not learned that in their, in their early years, but really, you know, so Bill and I with I am five fifths in the future, just to, you know, just to give you a heads up, you know, we planned on doing events and workshops. So we would definitely want to circle back with you uh, for something like that. That would be fantastic. Um, I want to show you. I want to show you a couple sure. of masks. I want to sure. show you a couple of masks. I think it would do. so. For those who just to see it, um, I'm gonna show you one from an adult, mm-hmm. right? Right. So this is an adult male. So gotcha. yeah. How how old is that? Uh, 40, Forty-seven year old. Forty-seven year old male. Okay, I see it. Oh, there it is. Okay, I see it. So happy, wow. friendly. Uh, I, I can't read. Approachable. Approachable. There it is. And then yeah. depressed, anxiety, scared. Now I'm gonna read the the next one is a teenager. So. This one is a 14-year-old male. So this is the front, family, soccer, friends, and the fam- the back, wow. family, health problems, my problems, my feelings. And so what we see over and over again, and this is the last one I'll show you is this one that I, that I, that I, I saw, and I, it really stood out to me, um, another 14-year-old young man. Who took? I mean, he only has to write three words, wow. but, but he wrote a lot. Wow. Mm. He and did. The front says, um, uh, "What it says? Dedicated, friendly, happy." That's yeah. the front of the front of the mask. Yeah. Look at the back. It says, "Wow, I'm overall just not as happy as I appear." Uh, I say my parents' divorce and current living situation doesn't bother me, but it does. Wow. He mm. says, "The few ways I'm happy is with friendship, but." It's hard when they move on without you. Wow. 
Like, my man, me and you should have did a mask, <laughs> man. That brother, that, we, we might be having a, a different conversation right now. That's true. Not, right. It's, not, it's, not, it's, it's, it's never too late. So I, I know that I'm um, looking at the time here. I know that uh, we only have a couple of minutes here time left. If you don't mind taking uh, a question from both, uh, one from Bill and one from myself. Yeah. Uh, Mine is going to be kind of a follow up to your last um uh, presentation. And that is, you know, you're dealing with the social and emotional. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I also find, I, I think that's like a starting point for getting, you know, young men or just people in general to kind of recognize, you know, that that emotional and social intelligence, um, that, you know, that self-awareness. Yeah. But, you know, with our young boys in particular, you know, yeah. there's that next step. And that is, you know, getting the work done, doing the yeah. work. And what I find is yeah. that there needs to be more of an incorporation of what neuroscience now call uh, metacognitive skills, you know, mm. so really looking at things like, you know, you know, delayed gratification and resilience, which some people like to call grit um, and, you know, uh, adaptability. There's a bunch of those kind of uh, what they call metacognitive skills that essentially is more important than actually um, telling someone to go out and get a, get an A because those are our habits and customs yeah. that are that sit at the foundation. What, what can we do um, to bring that aspect into our boys so that they have this sense of um, hope and confidence that they can um be competitive in this world. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think that a, a big part of like where we try and go with um, the idea of the social emotional work is first just being aware of how you're really doing in the moment and figuring out, do you have a place in your, do you have a, a process to check in with yourself to say, when this thing comes, this feeling, this, whatever, do I have a place to navigate it? Because oftentimes the, the stuff that our young people are dealing with it sometimes comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's a, a song you hear, it's a thing you hear, somebody says something, it triggers these other things, and then you, be in, you become in a tailspin. And if you don't have any way of navigating, like, oh, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. I'm feeling a little, oh, that, that's making me upset. That song, the way that, well, the way that teacher mm -hmm. just said that to me is making me mad. Like, and if I don't have a way of like catching myself in the moment of knowing, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pissed off right now. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know that I'm doing it. I don't have any, any markers to be like, what, what, what am I feeling right now? Like, I just want to like, I want to, I want to like fight somebody right now. Like, where is it coming from? Yeah. Um, two things that come in my mind. Um, I'm gonna show you this one image um, from our campaign. And it's kind of the image that we use to show off, off our work. So if you look at this image on the outside mm -hmm. of that face, you see it says, I'm okay on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what we normally say when people ask us how we're doing. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm okay, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm gonna go in a little closer. And I hope it comes into 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 focus. Let me try and do it this way. Let's get a little harder with that. Okay, it's getting a little better. Watch this. Okay, so over the mouth, there's a word. It's really kind of hard to see. Over the mouth, there's a word. It's actually hard to see on purpose. Oh, I, I, I oh did, yeah. yeah. I can see something. I can't make yeah. out what it is though. Yeah, it says not. Oh wow! Yeah, I do see it now. I do. Wow, that's yep. see, man, man. You in, you engineering brothers, man. This is well. <laughs> this is an artist. He he's one of our first members, and he said, "Look, the reason I put not over the mouth is because if if you tell the world that everything is good and I'm okay, I'm fine. Ooh, that's powerful. Why would they think you're not okay? Mm -hmm. And he said, I put it over the mouth because it's actually just really hard to talk about when I'm not okay." And I think that we need to provide space for young men in our work, definitely our young brothers, to know that when things are not okay, that's the time you got to find. I mean, and our goal is helping find. We don't tell people they shouldn't have masks, but do you have people around you that you can talk about it with? Mm -hmm. Do you have people who you can, like, take off the mask with mm -hmm. and who got you and who will still, and when, when you leave that room, you armor back up and you go back out there to the world because the world's not really ready for our young men. And our world doesn't even allow our young black men, especially and even our adult black men to mm -hmm. feel. Because mm -hmm. when we, we feel, our feeling looks different than how other people feel. And so therefore people are somehow so afraid of us feeling. Mm -hmm. When I'm feeling afraid, I'm feeling worried, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling anxious. Like 
we somehow are looking like like monsters yeah. and therefore who need to be yeah. ki- killed, right? No, and I right. think that um, the last answer I'll give around that is I tell young people in our work, uh, there's this book that I've been reading. It's called um, It Didn't Start With You. Mm, and I think okay. that this idea of how, how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how we end the cycle. And, uh, you know, my story, as I told you, my father died before I was born. Like, biologically, here's what, here's what scientists say, that I chemically was bathed in sadness for months. All the emotions mm. that my mom dealt with, and I was bathed in them mm. for months. Mm. That's powerful. Now, who, like, I'm a very emotional person. Like, but I was taught that I couldn't show emotions for most of my life. Mm. Like, only, only since 2010, when I joined my men's team, that I began to learn that I have emotions, and I have I need to find the right places to share them, so that I'm not walking around disconnected, because I've been taught not to show most of my self mm-hmm. but i i was emotional before i showed up on the planet sure. i was i was swimming in sadness yeah. and emotions and then i'm supposed to show up on the planet and not ever show them like it's it's un, it's not fair it's also unhealthy and I, and i lived in my life a lot unhealthy around that so guess what ashanti amar will always tell you man he calls me emotional too brother <laughs> so we we in good company man amar would always be messing with me because <laughs> he's like bill you too emotional brother <laughs> <laughs> hey man i just have to say brother you one of these cats man we could probably sit up here and talk to you for several hours man i have really enjoyed this i just here's my last question man i'm gonna i'm gonna just make it real easy man because i want us to go out on a positive note man every program has a success story man some young brother that man the odds was just stacked up against him, mm-hmm. man and you saw that brother make it through man tell us a story about a young cat that the odds were stacked against him, man, but he he came out positive on the other side. Yeah, um, is a young man actually who was featured on, with us on the Kelly Clarkson Kelly Clark, show. Cl- Clive. Yeah, Clive. Yeah, Clive got five Gs. Oh man, you, I, t- you, I was you, like, "Where's mine? Where's my cut?" You, you need to come to me, man. I need to show that brother how to invest it through the Wall please. Street Wizards. Oh, please do, please. Do. He's he's actually oh he well we got to talk about him because he's. He, he, he don't want to go to college because he don't want to take no loans. And I'm like, okay, well, there's more reasons. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> please let me get you in touch with him. Because, uh, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and he has to make his own decisions. But ultimately, I'm like, brother, all right, all right. Um, but here's what I know. This young man, right before uh, going off to high school, he lost his mom. He was raised mm-hmm. by a single mother. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a mama's boy. Like, I don't know what I would have done at 13 to have lost my mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, he... He, you know, he, he disconnected for a long while, for several months. And I told his grandma, I said, I'll just keep calling him. I'll keep checking in every, you know, every couple of weeks just to see. And he never wanted to talk. He never, he would always say, I'm fine. Everything's good. And it wasn't, he wasn't eating. He wasn't communicating. And his grandma said, "Um, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll just be here when he's ready. And literally it took him like six months before he finally came and reached out to me. Like, I mean, I've been calling him over and over. And I think oftentimes in this mentoring work, sometimes we we give up on people too early. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I wanted him to be ready to talk when I was ready to talk to him. But I yeah. knew that it wasn't in his, it wasn't my timing. It was his timing. So I just had to be there. And literally, as he moved towards uh, you know, high school, college, high school graduation, going off to the freshman year of college, that summer, he lost his grandmother. This was oh. 2020, 2020 summer. Man. And so he has just been through it and I, I mean now what do you do at 18 years old you just inherited a house you inherited two cars you have like a, like you now have responsibilities that most 18 year olds are first of all i lost my mom now i lost my only other guardian and i'm just so proud of him for just sticking in it staying in yes. in the mix even through all the challenges and I'm, I'm really proud of him and so um i highlight him because and there's so many of them i mean all the other young men out there who know them and they see me I mean, I had a 30 year old call me the other day saying, hey, can we can we meet? Um, I need to talk. And so that for me is a success story that they remember what it was like when they were 15, 16, mm-hmm. 17 to have a space. And then, you know, they go off to life. They do life. I don't I don't, you know, go go do life. And they always know that they got they got somebody in their corner when they when they need it. Um, that feels like success to me, because I, I think I've always wanted to have that. And I didn't mm-hmm. know how I didn't know how to ask for it. I think I created it never forward what I really wanted 
mm. growing up. And, I, and I'm glad that I've created something where young people, even after years, they'll call and say, they'll check in and say, hey, Branch, how you doing? Or, Thank you. And so uh, that, that's, a, that's a win, you know? Absolutely. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I just say, man, this is a pleasure. As I said before, we need a hundred more brothers like you, man, on the street doing Absolutely. the work. So Ashante, um, you know, you're doing great work and you're scaling and you're reaching a lot of um, people out there. So first, um, how do you take care of yourself? What's your self-care uh, because, you know, so often doing this work, because people are calling you at Great all question. moments of the day and all those type of things. And since we're talking about black men and, you know, one of the things that we don't often uh, point to black men is that, you know, in their role in the community, whether they're being, you know, teachers, mentors, coaches, um, you know, they're, they're dealing with young boys that, that generate a lot of ener energy and testosterone and, all of those things. And it could, it could take a lot from you, but we never really asked black men, you know, how are they doing in their support of their communities um, and their youth? And then lastly, we'll end on this is uh, just tell us how um, people can get in contact with your program for donations and to just learn more about what you're doing. Yeah. I'll start there. Um, so you can find us on all social media platforms at Ever Forward Club. So all together, Ever Forward Club um, on all social media. And our website is everforwardclub.org. Um, if you want to make a mask, you will see that on our website. Go to everforwardclub.org. Click on Million Mask Movement. You can make a mask as well. Um, and the reason I went there first is just because uh, I am, you know, as I've been building this organization, um, I think I've only realized in the last, say, two years that a nonprofit is a business. I mean, I thought I was just building a program. Um, I don't, I'm not good at self-care. <laughs> I'm working on, but, but since last year of January, around last year, um, I've been really working on my health. I think, you know, I, I used to eat for pleasure. I used to, um, a lot of childhood trauma. Some Reading this book helped me realize some things that I had been disconnecting from. And my, my eight-year-old self, who had some serious trauma, um, I had shut down. I shut, I shut off. I kind of tried to disconnect from him that he existed in me. And so food was my way of just like comforting, ignoring him, but also comforting myself. And um, I think what I do now is I am, I'm, I'm working on it still. I'm constantly working on it. But what I, I mean, commitment I made last weekend, two weekends ago, was that every day, I will write a sentence for that eight-year-old boy who I ignored for 30 plus years. Like, like he, he's a part of me and what happened to him wasn't my fault. And it wasn't, um, it's all right, brother. And so what I get to do every day now is, um, I'm thank him for being in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not trying to pretend that he's not there and that if I'm ever going to write this book that I need to start writing it and um it's been it's a journey it's a mm -hmm. journey of just recognizing that um that my community I, my, I survived to be mm -hmm. here today and mm -hmm. now I get to help other young people survive whatever they may be going through as well so uh, I, I'm on a constant journey. It's a, it's a constant daily, uh, work to, to even, even when I think about him, it, it brings up, right. So I have to be careful how I, uh, but, but I'm but I know he's been waiting for attention. He's been waiting to be acknowledged that he did the best he could. Thank so, you, man, yeah. brother. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, th thank you. Because I, you know, just hearing that it just took me right back to, uh, my eight-year-old self and my relationship with with teachers, and that's why this this topic that we're talking about today um, is so important. And so, uh, thank you because I think this last part of what you're saying is what so many, all of us, but really so many black men need to to hear that you know that you can go back and and um, and recognize and care for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that the world is here uh, for you 
uh, to thrive because uh, you mentioned survive, but you actually you're thriving now because you're yeah. doing the deep work. And so we want to thank you for coming on thank today you, to I am five fifths and we wish you the best with um, all that you're doing. Thank you. And um, yes. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both men. Thank you. Got Shout it. out to you again, brother. My pleasure, man. And I, I will say this, man, black man, the black man, man, you are doing frontline work. I call there's a lot of men that do work on the back end, right? But you're on the front lines. You're actually making the phone calls. You're meeting with these brothers, man. Please find a way to take care of yourself, man. Find that way to get that self-care. You know, Ahmad and I, this podcast was actually born out of the conversations that Ahmad and I used to have. And we used to always call it therapy, didn't we, brother? It was like we had this was our own form of therapy. And one day just the podcast evolved out of it, man. Find that brother that you can have that relationship with, man, to start developing that self-care because we need you here, brother. We really do. We need you. Thank you, Dollar Bill. That's a great way to end this. Yes.